Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Are we not the bestest of friends already? Only in media. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, hello, wherever you are, whoever you are, it's time to strap on your Jim Nil mustache of decision-making power for a special armchair GM edition of the Stargazing Podcast. Uh, and we're, we're going to get we're going to get right into it. I'm with Mark and David have joined me, and we're celebrating the complete lack of anything interesting going on in the NHL right now. Um, nothing at all that I can tell, and, and we're going to talk a little. Talk a little prospect, talk a little expansion draft, just try and sort out what the heck this roster might be by the time the puck drops next season. So it should be a fun one. Um, we're going to talk today about the goaltending and the defense with a fo- another session around the forwards coming up later on. But uh, without any further preamble, gentlemen, how are you this afternoon? Doing, Doing good. Great. Wonderful. Wonderful. So you've, you've got your, your Jim Nil facial hair firmly affixed. We're ready to roll. I, I I have that already pre-attached <laughs> to my face. There you go. You've, then your takes are going to be extra special, I think, today. <laughs> so then we'll, we'll dive right in. As I said, we're not, we're not so much going to talk about in in terms of, of actual Dallas Stars news, right? Nothing's really happening at this second, right? It's it's off seasons, kind of the doldrums. We're through the we're through the draft lottery. You know, nothing else. Nothing else has really, you know, occurred. So we're we're going to take advantage of that and think about things that that might occur. And of course, we've got the draft coming up. We've got the expansion draft coming up. A bunch of a bunch of things are on the horizon. Contracts looming. So um, we're just going to go by position. And I think we'll start with the the net first. And I want to start with just a very broad question, and we'll we'll start to to narrow down a little bit. But um, we'll start. We'll go David first, and then Mark. Tell me. Your your starting, uh, you know, I'm going to ask for a couple of things, right? Who is Dallas's starting goaltender next season? Who is Dallas's backup goaltender next season? And give me a percentage split between games played. And as I mentioned, David, we'll start with you. Just putting you on the spot. You're going to put me on the spot with math as well. That's that's messed up. The uh... you know? <laughs> <laughs> we roll heavy here. The so I, I think it's pretty clear that Bishop is going to be the starter. Ottinger is going to be the quote-unquote backup, uh, probably looking at sort of like a 60-40 split because I, I just think the worst-case scenario is, in fact, Ottinger playing in the AHL, taking a step back, and I think you just have to fight however you can to sort of trade Hudobin, who just had a really lackluster year, and there's no way Seattle is taking Hudobin. Um, so, so yeah, that's like actually, I, that's, and that's immediately where my mind went in terms of questions. So then you believe in, in your scenario, Anton Hudobin is not a factor on the roster when the season starts. I don't think so. Interesting. How do you think the, uh, and I swear, sorry, we'll, we'll get to you in just a second, Mark, but how do you, how do you think they get out of that? I think they they have a decent amount of picks. And I think with the, with the incentive to, 
go, you know, quote unquote, go for it next year, which presumably is what they try to do this year. But, you know, with the incentive to go for it, I think you just you know what Andre is, you know what Bishop is, even though he's a little bit of an X factor. And I think you just make sure that you have the cap to maybe make a splash with the Blake Coleman. I, I personally have kind of a hot take with the Blake Coleman, but we'll get to that when the time comes. But, you know, Blake Coleman or something else, something to maybe any kind of money that's going to move other positions more efficiently than goal, which I think is pretty well established. And I don't for as for as much as there's in uh, kind of like a sort of mystery box with like Bishop's like knees or whatever it is that he's been injured with. Uh, I, I don't, I don't think there's, you just can't take the chance that Andre plays in the AHL. You just, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong though. <laughs> I don't No, I mean, you, you've certainly got, you know, it's, it's interesting to me. I, I, I see where you're going and I think that, that head, that's definitely where if I'm, you know, cold calculating and in charge of the Dallas Stars, that's definitely where I want to be, both in terms of a payroll and a performance factor, right? You certainly want to have, you know, Bishop and and you've got to have Bishop. I think he's the one that you can't really get out from underneath. And even if you could, I, I given his body of work, I think he definitely, this team is better off giving Bishop a chance to come back and demonstrate that he's, you know, still Ben Bishop or most of Ben Bishop, right? That's that's still the best case scenario. So I think you got to let that happen. Um, it's just hard right now to see them getting out of. It's hard to see what happens with Hudobin right now, and and so that's a. I, I'm glad we started. So we'll, we'll go ahead and tag you in here, Mark. Do you think that that's reasonable? And then we'll get your own um, get your own breakdown on, on what the Dallas Crease situation looks like. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely right. And, and the only thing that really worries anyone is that you know come come the end of July going into August we still don't have a picture of what's going on with Ben Bishop and and then what's plan B because if you are going to think of that you're going to move Hudobin you want to do it sooner than later and if the, the longer we stay with three NHL goaltenders on the roster the tougher it's going to get to make a deal yeah and I think that's the optimist in me, right? The optimist in me says that's part of that was part of the decision making calculus to shut Bishop down for the season when they did, right? Is is figuring out, you know, at this point, supposedly he's just at the the recovery phase, right? Versus anything actively kind of still going wrong. Um, so I, I guess the optimist in me says you're probably confident if you're Jim Nill to make that decision and make that move because you sat down and and likely made that decision and made that move in your mind back during the regular season when they decided, you know what, Bishop isn't going to come back. Sagan is, you know, and Radulov is not. Right. And and, and the thing is, you know, Jim Nill is going to have more uh, visibility into what's going on with Bishop. And I, I think the last interview I saw I saw they were talking about a mid-July uh, update on on what his status is and and it, again unless there's something catastrophic and and you'd think at this point that they would know anything in outside of maybe uh, something gets tweaked right when he gets on the ice or something like that um, but it does kind of leave Dallas in a in an awkward situation because do you really want to have uh, a, a situation where if you find out that you have 
Ottinger and Bishop as your NHL guys. And then Bishop gets injured, which we know he's prone to be. Uh, who then is your first guy in? And, and you know, we had Landon Bowe sitting out there with, with the taxi squad the entire time. He got two games of action this last year. He's a he's an unrestricted free agent and and probably is going to be looking elsewhere to, uh, to to find a home. And beyond that, all we really have in the system is is Adam Shield, who, who played, what, 12 games in the AHL. So I'm fully expecting another deal to kind of come out here where the Stars sign somebody who's maybe, you know, I, I hate to go types, but a, a Mike McKenna type. Who uh, who has some experience out there can do some mentoring in the in, in the AHL and then in in an emergency situation can be your NHL backup. Interesting. So so David, going to throw it back to you. Do you do you concur that the 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 possibility here would be still a you know three ish man unit in the Dallas net, but Hudobin is not one of those three pieces. Yes, but I also just want to bring something up that it may just kind of be like stupid and silly and extremely paranoid. But this discussion kind of remi- – uh, did anybody read uh, Scott Wheeler's mock draft for um, – I think it came out today, yesterday, something like yeah. that? Yeah. Yep. Um, so I thought it was really inter- – normally, you know, like a mock draft, it's not really going to tell you a whole lot. But Scott had specifically said – Based on conversations he's had. Now, does that mean with Dallas personnel or anything like that? No, probably just talking about other scouts. But he, Scott Wheeler is someone that I think is pretty darn good writer, pretty uh, connected. And and I, I wonder – and he also has us taken Sebastian Cosa, who is a goaltender. Now, everybody would absolutely lose – just lose their crap with – Dallas picking a goaltender after getting Ottinger, knowing Ottinger is not going anywhere. <laughs> but he also is a really good goaltender. So I'm not someone that absolutely supports this in any way whatsoever. But um, I do wonder if maybe part of this discussion is kind of telling us that um, maybe they are really thinking about the future. And the future at goaltender is not Bishop and not Hudobin. And uh, so, so it's kind of hard to like really make heads or tails of what exactly they have planned. Um, see, I, I see, I hear that. And to me, that actually sounds rather rational, right? So in, in my opinion, once you get, if you've got, you know, top two or three, maybe top five picks, right? If you're staring down the, uh, the barrel of Amir Haskin and then, then you maybe pick a little bit for need, right? Because those, those kids tend to play earlier. But once you get out of that initial elite tier timelines for for guys reaching the NHL roster levels are, are tend to be, you know, it's, it's more baseball than basketball, right? So looking at the way the, you know, looking at the way the roster is currently constructed and, and, you know, the way that Ben Bishop's deal is going to run, like, I feel like it, that where, you know, what Dallas is picking, what 14th, 13th, 14th, something like that. 14th. Yeah. So realistically the guy that you're getting at that number probably isn't going to be making a major impact until, you know, let's see, Ben Bishop's contract runs out after the 2022-2023 season. Well, if you pick a you pick a goaltender this year, that's probably about when 
he's gone through the process of, of finishing his, you know, AHL mentorship and he's been a backup and, you know, Bishop probably, you know, maybe hopefully he doesn't, but he may spend the last year of his deal doing something else. So it's, it's one of those situations where, where Dallas is picking, I, I'm a little bit okay with them saying, you know what, in, you know, in three or four years, we're going to need the most talented guy that's available at this spot. So we're just going to go ahead and do that and, and let the chips fall where they may. So I don't think it sounds insane if, if they feel like, and this is where my prog, prog, uh, prospect ignorance comes into play a little bit. I'm not super uh, up on, on the kids as they say, but if, if they feel like he is the best player at that spot, I certainly don't think you can in ink say that no matter what, Come heck or high water, Jake Ottinger is the undisputed number one in Dallas's crease by then, right? Well, and the whole thing is, you, know, you always want to have two guys in the AHL who are pushing each other. And and at this point, it's pretty obvious that Colton Point isn't going to be that guy. Um, he he couldn't displace uh, he couldn't displace uh, Thomas Scholl, um, and was running second string down uh, in the in the you know at Idaho, so. Uh, you know, at this point, you've, you've kind of told Shield when he signed that, that here's your plan. You have him coming in uh, in the slot behind Bish, uh, behind uh, Ottinger. However, competition's good. And, and so you want two guys that are pushing each other to, to actually grab that as opposed to having it delivered. And I mean, the most extreme example of that, and I know it didn't win them the series, but Florida certainly was much more competitive this year. You know, where are they? without Drieger and Spencer Knight behind the $10 million dumpster fire that was, you know, Bobrovsky. Yeah. So I think it's, it's, you know, again, could you argue that, Hey, you, you could make the same comment about needing to start or by that point, having already started, you know, needing to start finding replacements for the likes of, of, you know, Jamie Ben and Alex Radulov, Joe Pavelski almost certainly won't be on the team, by, or maybe won't be on the team by that point, right? Even Tyler Sagan, right? You can make the argument that pretty much any position could use that same approach. So for me, it just comes down to like, you grab the player that you think is going to turn into the best NHLer, and by the time he's ready, you probably have a need at that position. I am so angry you guys are making this sound logical. Picking a goalie <laughs> at 14. Well, it's it's a thing I see, you know, in, in my opinion, is as it's a thing it's a thing that happens, I think, around the NHL draft because in terms of presentation, it they often try to equate it with in terms of its look and feel, right, with the NFL and the NBA's drafts in terms of they have the prospects walk up on stage and it's televised and they they go the event route, right? But that's a little disingenuous because, yeah, you're going to have the very top end will go to directly to rosters or get there fairly quickly, uh, you know, much like, you know, an NFL draft or an NBA draft. But the rest of those kids, it's a year or two, if even. And well, so I think especially it's, for goaltenders. Yeah. I mean, it's it's incredibly unusual for a player to make any kind of impact during the year that his name is called. So it's it's a you know, it's it's. The optics are insane. And, and then the other piece of that as well is, and then they hate to speak ill of anybody, but the other bit of that is like Jake Ottinger played great last season. Absolutely. They, he stepped up huge when Dallas needed him to under incredibly trying circumstances. 
goaltending is also voodoo, as has been said in various corners. And so if you're the Dallas Stars, seeing how you're, I mean, what's the the Hudobin example, right? We all headed into this season under the assumption that Dobby was going to play so great that he would be, you know, dangling catnip for the Seattle Kraken. And there's just no way they couldn't take him. Well, that didn't happen. So I, I think that that based on, you know, based on his talent, based on his pedigree based on the look and feel you know based on the eye test you can certainly look at the job ottinger did and breathe a sigh of relief and think okay dallas has a future between the pipes but knowing what you know about the position scale of one to ten just you know the quick math question for you how comfortable are, are either of you in locking that in seven Eight. okay wow that's that's about two points higher than i thought you'd be <laughs> Sometimes you have to take a leap of faith and you know, minimum minimum amount of information, but there's nothing that points me a different direction. Yep. I mean, that's I that isn't I think that's a very good way to phrase it. There there is nothing that points in a different direction. The the pessimist me would argue, just except for the fact that this is a position that is notorious for ebbing and flowing in terms of on ice performance. Right, and but you, you can say that about anybody at that. So, so just yep. I, I, I throw that away because that's the nature of the position. And for what it's worth, uh, you know, just looking at it, pretty much any like mock draft or any draft expert, like Sebastian Kosa is a legit first round talent and should go within like probably like the top twenty five, if not like easy top fifteen. So it's mm-hmm. not like Dallas would be picking somebody off the board. As they've been wont to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, does this then, you know, if if were they to do so, does Ottinger's performance, does the renaissance of Jack Campbell suddenly turn Dallas Stars drafting into a goalie factory? <laughs> well, we kind of are if you take a look I mean, at the, the number of guys that we, you know, De Rossier's, uh saw a little action, uh, Lacasse saw a little action, Campbell's in. I mean, all, all these guys who could never make it in Dallas have, have certainly been sniffing the NHL over the last year or two. Let's I mean, not do go back re- with Manny <laughs> sorry, Fernandez, Dar- Marty Turco. Well, no, it's, it, it's kind of it, it, it's it's kind of a stupid point, but it, it's like you know, hey. talent is talent is as talent talent is, and uh, and we now have coaches down in the AHL who hopefully solve some of the issues that we had with uh, with Campbell. Yeah. <laughs> I guess thank you for calling my point stupid, but you know. Well, we'll get past this. We're we're a strong crew. Um, yeah, so it'll be interesting. Um, any let's let's talk expansion draft. Then we we've kind of flirted around it. So I think as a group, are we are we pretty settled on on Hudobin not being a target for Seattle? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and I think part of that, in my opinion, and, and we'll throw this out there and see see what you guys think. I think part of it is certainly performance. He was, you know, he had his good moments, but he certainly had some down to go with his up last season. So I think there's enough of that. If I'm, you know, if I'm Seattle, I'm a little worried. I think the other thing working against that scenario is there's a lot of goaltending out there. So if you're, if you're the Kraken is, is, you know, you're going to have, you're going to have some options, which I think makes him, you know, not, not the one you'd take. Right. Yeah. I mean, he's, yeah, I mean, Seattle, right, like, so why take, like, an Asian goaltender who's been mostly a career backup, um, who had a really bad year last season, with a price tag, like, well above 
the young quality goaltending that they'll have available. And I think more to the point um, with Seattle, which is that you know, there's something that uh, sources like Pierre Lebrun have more or less confirmed, which is that Seattle's not looking to do what Vegas did. Seattle is not looking to just take cap just to take cap or, and, and they're certainly not looking to just make the Stanley Cup finals, like in the very first season, you know, that was, I'm sure that was lightning. In a bottle, I'm sure they'd so. take it if they could. Well, yeah, <laughs> touche, <laughs> but sorry, please continue. Oh yeah, no. I, I, to me, with expansion, I, uh, you know, I don't have a whole lot of thoughts, man. Like honestly, I, Dickinson is going to get exposed. I think he's better than Faxa in my personal hot take opinion, and I think they'll probably take Dickinson if, for some reason, Faxa gets exposed. I think they take Adam Maskerin because why not? Prospect pool is something they like actively need, and I'm just, I'm just going to be kind of sad if if that happens because. Me personally, the FAXA era has has come to an end. I, I will mostly agree with that. Although I think they they may take Maskerin regardless. Um, and, and if they do, the only comment I really need to add is that that's going to hurt some of our cap issues because I think we're depending on one of those two salaries not being around. Yeah, I mean, do you think that that turns into, and I know with talking about Master, we're, we're bleeding into the forwards a little bit. So, yeah, I, do you think that they throw, there's a sweetener? Do you think that this is this is something that could be kind of an off-table deal? Would Seattle take another asset instead? I, I, I'm i a little concerned about any of the sweeteners. I, I think a lot of GMs learned the lesson from Vegas that that everybody who uh, everybody who threw the sweetener in got burned. And so NHL guys learned the lesson of what happened before. And so I'm not seeing a whole lot of sweetener deals. I mean, NHL GMs, though, are, are we really giving them the benefit of the doubt here that they're going to like <laughs> learn from their lessons and, and figure? I will, no, I, I will say I, I, the I think one... they're going to learn the wrong lessons. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I, and I will say the, the one thing to Mark's point that, that NHL GMs have proven themselves for do, to do is they will slavishly avoid the thing that didn't work the thing that they think didn't work before they, they will do anything to not sorry, better phrasing. They will do anything to not look like they screwed up. And that is often at the expense of doing the right thing or a good thing. But in terms of NHL GM think you are, you are more likely to catch an NHL GM doing nothing in avoidance of looking like a fool than doing something in the hopes of looking like a genius. And that's kind of the irony too, right? Which is that I think Dallas is maybe a team that if they did do the whole like sweetener thing is a team that actually might benefit from that. Like I I really, I really feel like if they just, if they were trying to add that so-called sweetener to maybe like, Hey, take the guy you want and maybe take Hudobin with, you know, a couple of picks. Mm -hmm. Like I really think that would help untangle a lot of things they're trying to do. Cause I think for Dallas, most of the issue is the blue line and goaltended right i mean uh so whatever forward you lose i mean does anyone like tr- i again I, I really like dickinson but um i'm not gonna like uh die on that hill that he needs to be protected at all costs and I, if he's I, part of the sweetener by all means i mean i've said before and, and I, I like it so i'll say it again i think that, that to succeed in the nhl you need players like jason dickinson but you do not need jason dickinson if that makes sense. They, yes. And this is, I, I love, I love Jason Dickinson. He's been a valuable player of this team. And I, I selfishly hope that, that the circumstances he continues to do so, but like you can find other guys that give you solid bottom six, you know, play with whiffs of, of 
top six in dire circumstance, right? Like there, there are guys in this league that you can put beside two skill players and are going to be reasonable, right? He's not, he's not the player to, to, uh, you know, to mark your point about learning the right lesson. He's not the player to fixate on and protect and lose somebody with upside because like, we know, we know where Dickinson's ceiling is. We know where his floor is. That this is kind of what it is. Yep. The, the only concern I have is if we lose Dickinson, who's going to take all the shots to the face? <laughs> that goes somewhere else, right? So yep. uh, you you mentioned Mark, uh, or sorry, you mentioned David, the blue line, and I want to make sure we get that in while we're talking as well. So I think we've we're pretty in agreement that that hey, you know, the stars are are definitely in a perfect world. It's an Ottinger Bishop show next season, and from a certain perspective, it makes sense to draft another goalie this year, and maybe they can figure some takers on who to open. So I guess last call on goalie takes before we transition to the blue line. Anything else either of you want to get off your chest? No blue line. Blue line it is. All right, so then this is where I think it gets. Honestly, I think this is where things are the most interesting for Dallas because of the volume and scope of decisions they have to make. And I think last time we went David and then Mark, so we're going to reverse it this time and we're going to go Mark first and then David. And it's it's a similar question, right? And tell me, give me Dallas's top six next season. Top six is Miro and a to-be-determined right-handed D as your first pair. Uh, Lindell and Kliegberg as your second pair. Um, Harley and Sekera, uh with Hanley as your seventh D. And then uh, so somebody either coming up from the AHL or, or some low-cost guy who we can kind of keep around who will periodically take Harley's place because Harley, I think, is going to go uh, back and forth between the A and, uh, and, and the NHL couple times. All right. I'm glad I'm glad I started with you. Shots fired first first things first. So so David, real quick peek over on your list. Do you also have Jamie Alexiak no longer with the Dallas Stars next season? Yes. All right. So uh, excellent. Interesting. Interesting. So Mark, let's 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 check on that a little bit. What what is driving your thinking? And then then David will get you to chime in as well. But Mark, lead us off. Why why do you think uh, Big O is 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 packing up and, and taking his big rig elsewhere? Well, I, I'm going to say that I think he should. But the, the reason is that sorry, just to be I, just to be very clear, he should stay or he should go. He should he should go. Okay. Um, um, mainly a couple of reasons. One, I think because of his size and, and the year that he had this year, he is going to be highly valued by other teams. And so I think he's going to be more valuable to other teams than he is to Dallas. Um, secondly, uh, I did a bunch of looking at, uh, at the progress of Miro over the last three years. And and the drop off in his offense between the first year when he was mainly mainly paired with with Roman Polak to, to when he started getting uh, his time with Lexiak is significant. And, and he's he's getting opportunities in much worse places on the ice. And, and I'm, I'm just visualizing this. I didn't have a chance to go back and look at clips, but his first year, I remember him coming down the middle uh, off the off the break and just getting this shot off in the high crease and being deadly. And he doesn't get that shot anymore. Try and try and find one in the last two years where where he does that. He's getting his shots from the side of the ice, um, and he's not getting nearly as many of them. And so 
I think there are some critical ways where by being paired with Alexiak, he's not allowed to be creative offensively, or maybe maybe he's just too diligent a defensive player to to not just jump in. And and so he's holding back a little bit, and that split second is causing him to lose some of his dynamism on the offensive end. And so that's why that's why I think he needs to be working with somebody who is you know, he, he needs his own Lindell. Interesting. David, is that, you know, do, do you agree with that? Uh, yes and no. Like uh, the last part, I, I don't feel like anybody needs their own Lindell <laughs> because I just there are certain things about Lindell I just don't like. But he's he's listen, he's a top four defenseman. I'm not here to like rag on the guy. I think he's definitely got like his own value in very specific ways. But uh, I will say that one of the reasons why I wrote this idiotic devil's advocate article about Seth Jones is because what Mark is talking about is exactly what you see with Seth Jones. If you look at um, like for those that, you know, feel like, yeah, yeah, I love fancy stats. Tell me all about war numbers. You know, if, if you take those seriously, if you look at wins above replacement, right, for all the talk about Seth Jones is like, quote unquote, bad analytics, like over the last three seasons. Sure. But the three seasons before them, like he was excellent in terms of wins above replacement and that those bad analytics have coincided with his time with Zach Wierenski, who's taken over pretty much all of the offensive duties. And, and so I think you get a lot of that tension, you know, it's, they're fine on their own, but I think you absolutely get a certain tension between two talented players that are kind of maybe like playing past one another. And, and even though, yeah, sure. Like I, I don't think Esselandel specifically, but like, a Yanni Hockenpah, who like who I think could is going to be great value for some team that does not have to pay a lot to get him, um, would be kind of like ideal. Um, even though Dallas is obviously not going to you know play in first pair minutes, but um, uh, but I absolutely agree with the idea that maybe not necessarily a pure stay at home defenseman because I, I don't know that you know a lot of like elite teams necessarily like need this specific or strict symmetry. Um, but you know, like look at like Colorado, I, I think like Devin Hayes and Kale McCarr are just like a brilliant defensive pair. Um, even if they didn't make the finals and whatnot, but, um, two years um, in a row, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying I mean, if, if Miro's if played in more finals than Kale McCarr has, you know, <laughs> just put it out there. I, I accept that. It's, I'm sorry, Mark. <laughs> well, I, I was going to say, I mean, if, if they'd ever give it the shot, I'd, I'd be perfectly willing to to pair him with Hanley. Um, you know, it doesn't get him back on his proper side, but uh, he's but it dependable. seems like, and it seems like the theme that I'm detecting here is it's less about because Miro, you know, Miro's good at everything, right? So this isn't it isn't necessarily a situation where you need to find a partner that hides Miro's flaws because those may not exist. It's more about deferral. And that part of Miro's game and part of what we've seen perhaps with the pairing with Alexiak is Miro in certain situations defers certain types of opportunities, certain shots, certain things to Alexiak who has, you know, who has been known to rumble up the ice and, and try and get some offense, right? So I guess the argument, just to make sure I'm, I'm understanding correctly, is that that it's not so much that that we need to find that Miro needs to find a partner that's going to cover anything, and more that that Miro, by his nature, is going to concede under certain circumstances, certain looks, certain things, and so it's more about finding a partner that doesn't, you know, doesn't soak up the same air. Correct. 
And and that was kind of one of the things we saw, like, with, say, like, Goligoski and Klingberg. I realize, like, you look at the defensive teams in the Stanley Cup Finals, and, and now all of a sudden it's just like, well, you need big, tough defensemen to, to, to win. And and I just – I don't really take that seriously, even though I think there's some truth. Like, most of it has to do with the fact that these are talented big players. Um, but uh, I, I honestly don't think that – I think the main thing is, to me at least, what I saw with what Bonus did with Heiskanen was trying to kind of maybe like hire the team's floor at the cost of Heiskanen's ceiling. And I I realize the justification is maybe like, well, it's good to have two guys that can be dual threats. And I'm sorry, but like, no, Alexiak isn't half the player that Heiskanen is. So he's not the threat that Heiskanen, uh, he's not the decoy that I think the team thinks he is. And I think more to the point, like to me, Heiskanen is much harder to defend no matter how predictable he might be on a given play, um, with the puck than he is without or handing off to a player who's just simply not as talented. Yeah. And so I, I, I like that. I want to stop here one second and, you know, I, I want to float one 200 hockey men take. I'm glad you mentioned analytics. And I just want to get both of your reactions to it. And, and Mark, I think this has come up on a previous cast you and I've done together. So apologies if it's if it's old news. But this this is a and I forget honestly I can't remember who um, gets credit for the quote. But I remember one of the things the team said when they re-signed Polak was that you know the team valued his ability to stop a cycle. And they, they were talking about not necessarily generate a turnover, not necessarily, you know, get the puck up the ice, not, you know, not stop in the sense of, of restore possession, but but in a very literal sense of the ability to just lean on a guy and cease his progress and give the rest of the, you know, the defense time to solidify. Right. And, and get, you know, everybody else gets an extra extra heartbeat to get back into position, get their marks right, all all that stuff. So floating that take first question is that take in your view valid? And second question, if yes, what does that mean in terms of the TBD of, of defensemen that Dallas will then need to find in a scenario where Alexiak leaves the squad? And, and we'll, you know, either, either one can jump in. I mean, I, I certainly think it's a valid take. Uh, and, and even, even with that, and we had it with, with Polak and, and with Alexiak to some degree, um, the stars are vulnerable on it with a good cycle and, and they don't have a real good way to stop the cycle. Um, but, you know, so, something like what, uh, what what David was suggesting with Hockenpah, Hockenpah can actually do a bit of that and, and play the right side. Um, but, yeah, it's one of those things where they're probably, if, if we don't have a big D-man D like that, we're going to have a vulnerability. Wasn't that the thing that Elliot Friedman – so I, I think it was interesting because – uh, may, I may have gotten the article from a 31 thoughts, but it, it was star specific. It was definitely a reference to Roman Polak. <laughs> I, I don't want to think about Roman Polak for a second. So forgive me, <laughs> Wes. I'm going to, I'm going to try to make this point real quick, <laughs> which is that, uh, but, but okay. So I, I do think there is validity um, in part because uh, I thought it was fascinating. The Elliot Friedman article where he uh, interviewed Steve uh, Valaket who is kind of trying to look for a, a catch-all stat, right, for what can predict Stanley Cup winners, playoff success, and so forth. And the one thing that uh, Valaket's company kept going to was high-danger goals um, against per 60 at even strength. Just so happens that um, Montreal was second in the league, right, uh, this season. 
Um, and first last season was Tampa Bay. Oddly enough, Dallas was first this season, right? Um, so um, I, I guess, you know, kind of going back to my point, like if you look at a lot of other like defensive stats, like for example, I think both Montreal and Tampa are both top three teams in rebound goals against and top eight teams in uh, expected uh, rebound shots against per 60. So um, so I think there is something to the idea that, well, like, you know, maybe like a sort of bigger burly defense kind of perhaps helps control rebounds, perhaps, you know, helps, I don't know, suppress this high danger. I, not really like I don't read that much into it, but I think maybe there is something there just not to pull back. <laughs> right, 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 right. So then who is the answer? Put you I, I the, I'll put you on the spot. I am all for trade S. Lindell for Seth Jones. Bring in someone like Alexander Edler um, to kind of, you know, fill out that left wing spot or left spot. And then, you know what? It's it's like what uh, Pierre Lebrun talked about with Colorado. They're making a run at Seth Jones because they're just like, you know what? Let's just load up for one year. Let's see if we can do it. And I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm cool with that. Dallas is going to have like so many decisions the year after next season with Klingberg, Pavelski, Radulov. I'm just like, you know what? Sure. Why not? I mean, well, here's doesn't doesn't Seth Jones, though, getting back to our, our deferral problem, doesn't adding Seth Jones to the mix. Now you've got Klingberg, Jones, Haskinen and potentially Thomas Harley as well, all needing, you know, all needing the puck. Doesn't doesn't that create the same situation that supposedly suppressed some of Miro's value this past season? But the difference is those are actually good players like Seth Jones, <laughs> far better player than Alexiak. Um, you know, Thomas Harley, I I I guess, you know, I agree. Like, I'm not trying to, like, <laughs> pretend. And I'm, I'm kind of intentionally being a, being a jerk about it, too, because my my next follow-up is going to be, well, isn't Rowinski a good player? So isn't, you know, my, it, isn't the, the, the thinking theory here that you don't necessarily want two high-end guys on the same line? Well, I mean, uh, you know, we can list, like, quite a few exceptions, though, though can't we, as well? Yep. I mean, um, but uh, I, I think you're just more likely to – two talented players are more likely to forge a chemistry and find that balance than say like a guy that's really good and a guy that's maybe either bad or just simply knows his role. Mark. Yep. I, I would agree. And I, I mean, my take on it is you start just loading up on all your offensive talent on the defense and maybe we'll just bring Lindy Ruff back and we'll have fun. I mean, that was save, save Lindy. Right. And then yeah. Mark, one of the things I want to touch on as well before we get into the, the last big crackerjack question of the, the podcast is you mentioned in your kind of prospectus, getting Miro back onto his natural side, how high of a priority, you know, again, you've got your, your mustache of power um, locked in. How big of a priority is it for you to get Miro to the other side this season? I mean, he's, he's obviously shown that he can, uh, he can play both. Um, you know, I, I, put a number on maybe maybe the you get a 15 20 percent gain on it so you know it, it, it'd be nice but it's not absolutely necessary um you know i, I kind of look at it as the, the stars are just so weak on the right side of, of, of with with right shot defenders that that's why Miro's there in the first place and so that's a deficit that we just need to uh need to deal with and mm -hmm. and it's a problem not just in dallas it's a problem in cedar park as well I would say that's that's probably like maybe the, in my opinion, the highest priority, just because he is your most complete defenseman. 
probably your best you know defenseman in general and you, i mean whatever way you can allow the team which right right if you look at it like any of the stats in terms of like uh for example Dallas i think scored like their blue line scored like a quarter of their even strength goals this season so if they still intend to use the blue line as like the driver of their offense then you maximize the hell out of Heiskanen and and i, I just I, I don't think there's anything to think about. I, I think it's, he's your best player on the blue line. Let him make his best plays. Well, I think especially if, with the offensive margins, this team is frequently playing under 15 to 20% of Miro Haskin and is, you know, again, this is all, it's not even real math, but it's, you have to think that, that if that's the sort of performance increase that a switch might make, that probably puts him in the playoffs this past season. Well, well yeah. And, and, and the, the point is, now, how many how many Norris votes did did Haskinen get this last year? Zero. I mean, and, and that is that's not really acceptable. I don't think. Yeah. And and I think that was because of how how the team set him up to play. Yeah, I think you're right. There's there's a you know there's a, a you they I think simultaneously right appreciate what he brings, but in the appreciation of how good he is and what he brings, they've sort of put in a position where yeah we can we can have him prop up Alexiak and that'll give us two pairings and and then we'll we'll just roll with that. And it's you're right. It's it's again classic NHL GM thinking. It's it's how do we create a pairing that limits the damage, right? That can happen versus how do we create a pairing that maximizes the damage it can inflict. Right. And you take a look, you know, I, I saw something over the last couple of days from, from Mike and McCurdy and, and he was, he was talking about his isolation stats. And, and the problem is that if you have pairings that play together all the time, you get major bleed over on your isolation stats. And, and so I think this in many ways explains the rise of Alexiak. He's getting all his minutes with Haskinen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that checks out, right? So Love that. Then, you know, we, we've talked primarily about next season, but we can't talk about armchair GMing and the Dallas Stars defense without asking the one super big question. So we're going to go ahead and, and the last thing we'll cover during the podcast is Dallas has, you know, there's the Miro contract and then Dallas has another big decision looming in the form of John Klingberg. Is he long for the Dallas Stars? And, and I guess we'll go. We did Mark last time. Dave, we'll kick off with you. Oh, man, I. So. I think the thing with Klingberg is that I, I think you cannot talk about Klingberg without talking about Lindell, because if they intend to, let's say, bring in a partner for Heiskanen and they and Heiskanen's going to get paid and then you have Lindell who's already getting paid too much, whatever. <laughs> and And then you give Klingberg his raise. At the same time that guys like Robertson are going to be getting paid, Hintz is absolutely going to get like just a phenomenal raise, especially since he's kind of, you know, his contract expires around the time that they expect at least the cap to start rising again. It's just I, I think it's going to be the decision between like, well, do we trade Lind, uh, do we trade Lindell, or do we? Let Klingberg walk. Actually, I, I don't. I'm getting totally mixed up. I don't realize kind of you know uh, what I just said. But you get the point, which is that I really think it's it's between what do they ultimately decide. And I think for a lot of people, you know, I hear like, well, Thomas Harley, you know, he's he's not. He doesn't provide the same defense as Lindell, so he's clearly not going to replace him. But Thomas Harley is seen as a top four defenseman, so where else is he going to go? So I I think the writing is on the wall that you do something 
to maybe trade Lindell to make room to make sure that money's never an issue for Klingberg. So as much as I hate to say it, like I just I can't see them getting rid of Lindell. And I honestly think it's just, you know what, Klingberg, you're fantastic, especially in the playoffs. And this is why I hate this dilemma so much, because I think for for all the flaws that Klingberg has, he was the best player in that Tampa series, bar none. I mean, he, I think he's been the best player in several Dallas Stars series. Yeah, he got, you know, overshadowed a little bit by um, by Miro's run when Dallas made it to the final. But yeah, if, if you look at the total body of work, I think it is a completely fair thing to say that that over the entirety of that playoff run, that John Klingberg was was just as influential, if not more so, as than Miro Haskinen was. But ultimately, right, that's going to be how they see Klingberg, which is, well, we have our offensive guys. We got our Heiskanen. We got Harley. Well, he's also Klingberg, I think, is also victimized. And this is another long term rant that I've had. So apologies. for Klingberg gets victimized by the same NHL logic that says, well, this this forward, you know, couldn't hit the back of a net if if we, you know, made it the entire width of the back of the ice. But, hey, he gives us air quotes, solid defensive minutes. So I'm going to find 15 minutes a night and then looks at somebody like Dennis Gurionov who hits a goal scoring slump and says, oh, this is not fixable. We're going to give him seven, right? So I think that Klingberg is also hampered by the fact that the stuff that he does well is is undervalued and in my opinion mistakenly undervalued by a lot of the nhl right they look at a guy the, the league is just still catching up with the value of a defenseman whose version of defense is keeping the puck moving forward in a productive way and and they're going to find out the hard way just exactly what klingberg provides offensively if they just lose him for nothing because i as good as heiskanen is he just doesn't have klingberg's vision and neither does Harley, for that matter, and certainly anybody else they intend to bring in as like a stopgap. Well, that was that was depressing. Mark, uh, are you also <laughs> of the opinion that, that Klingberg is, is going to be in a different sweater soon? Uh, God, I hope not. <laughs> he he just does so many things. And the problem the problem for Klingberg is that his mistakes are out in the open. They're mm-hmm. they're they're very easy to pick on. Um, the fact that we don't have forward to finish means that he puts puck in the right spot a lot and it never ends up in the back of the net um so yeah you know i i think i i don't see the dallas stars being the dallas stars without moving moving forward with Klingberg. but a lot of this is going to change toward the end of the year you know, and at what point and, and this is kind of my theme this is this is the this is the last year where this is really a ben sagan team and and Klingberg's a little bit of the cusp between, but I think the year after it turns more into a into a Jason Robertson, Rupe Hints type team. Mm-hmm. And uh, and, and you know, Bonus's contract is up. We were we're uh, Bonus may work till he's eighty, but on the other hand, it's entirely possible that we have a new coach coming in after next year. So what the Dallas Stars look like um, after this last big push? is to be determined, but I don't see a good way that we move forward without having John Klingberg around for it. I think you, you made a good point when you, I like that you used the word replace, right? Because to me, that's where it falls with John Klingberg and the Dallas stars. And that the challenge is if you get rid of John Klingberg because of the way that this particular roster is built and the way that this particular team functions, if you get rid of John Klingberg, you have to then take that savings and that, you know, and then find a player that is John Klingberg. 
And the challenge that this team is going to have is, again, you know, Haskinen is is you know probably you know entire length of the rink a, a better a better player, but again. He, Haskinen has yet to show he can run a power play in the same way that Klingberg can or, or, or can, you know, involve forwards. And, and just the the list of things that Klingberg does that nobody else on this roster really can do is, is just too long. So, you know, I've I've long had, you know, the the you know, GM Jim's biggest asset is is his ability to manage the the cap hat on and I'll keep it on here. I, I, I agree with you, Mark, and that I think that they have, they will find a way to keep him unless he wants to go and kind of take their chances needing to find deals or help elsewhere. Um, I'm also of the opinion that, you know, by the time Klingberg needs, by the time whatever deal he gets kicks in, right. Radulov's not going to be, there's, there's not going to be another Alex Radulov contract. Um, If there's another Joe Pavelski contract, it's certainly not going to be a $7 million contract. So I think that there will be enough room. They'll, they'll have probably gotten rid of Hudobin somehow, some way by that point. Right. So I think in, especially in scenarios where they let Alexiak walk, I think that it's much more likely that, that they'll find that they'll have, if Dallas wants him, and if he wants to stay, finances aren't going to be an issue. And I believe that if Dallas has a, a, a jot of intelligence, which I think that they do, they will want him. So it really comes down to whether or not John Klingberg chooses to ply his trade elsewhere. And, you know, I certainly have seen nothing suggesting that. And, you know, players tend to like Dallas and tend to stay, right? The team, the the... the the players tend to speak highly of the area and the organization. So I just, I see him as I see the team. I think the team understands what they have here and wants to, wants to keep with it. Yep. And, and maybe, maybe finally we can get a, a defender from Dallas's development team to make the NHL squad, which uh, has, hasn't really happened for five years. Yeah, it's been, uh, you know, the, it's been a, it's been a, a fallow period. I guess you could maybe count Alexiak. He played in Cedar Park for a little bit. Well, yeah, but that, that's, that's my, that's my five years going back. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, you're right. Wow. God, I just dated myself there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's uh, you know, hardly a little time. And uh, that's, that's really about it. And, uh, you know, at, at some point it would be really nice to see, you know, Ben Gleason up. It would be nice to see Jared Rosberg up. And, uh, you know, these are the types of contracts that we're going to need for the third pair and, and, and our, our seventh defender, if we're going to be able to afford such a top heavy top four. Yep. As long as Jim Neal has access to the bargain bin with like veteran defensemen, they're not going to make it. You this, this organization has shown a preference for a steady vet versus testing a kid do with that what you will and i think that's a good segue we'll go ahead and go through you know give give me give me final thoughts and, and you know dave we'll go with you first give me some final thoughts here uh, i don't you know I, I think it's interesting because i just feel like this is a i think a unique window for jim nil because um you know, for for most of his time, right? Like Jim Neal has always only traded his way into a window, a competitive window, with like the Sagan trade, the Spezza trade, or bought his way into a competitive window with like Simon Bishop, Pudobin, Pavelski, Radulov, and now he's like in a really unique situation where he has a core that's really driving the team, and so I'm not sure. I honestly, I think Jim Neal's a good GM, flawed GM, but I think a good GM. 
but he's definitely in uncharted territory. And I just, I'm not sure. I'm not sure he's familiar enough with this specific scenario, especially for a guy that has said, I don't quote unquote believe in windows, at least like traditional, which I appreciate the kind of contrarian thinking, but um, you know, for a guy that maybe like, isn't perhaps uh, convinced that a window is all about like drafting well and then having like a three to five year like gap of competitive play that can then turn into a cup. I it just it really it'll be really interesting because Jim Neal, I think for all of his strengths, his flaws are with the nuances of I think I doubt, for example, he was ever looking for Hagee or Duclair's way in terms of bringing in a youngish mm-hmm. player. So um, so I, I honestly don't know. He could either be really good at it or maybe just really bad at it. And this is like what starts the inevitable decline. <laughs> oh, man, that's you're just all about the sunshine today. Mark, Mark, <laughs> please have a closing thought that is is brighter than that. Well, here, here's my closing thought, and, and, and but I, I agree to a lot with what David's saying. But what I, I view this coming season through the lens of this is going to be a big push to win the Stanley Cup. Anything that the team can do to put the right people with this group of players, uh, we're going to bend over backwards to do it. Um, but if that works, if that doesn't work, it's a brand new world after this year. Um, mm-hmm. the, the, the team changes, the core of the team changes, the leadership of the team probably changes. And here I'm not saying Jamie Ben won't be captain, but it, they're gonna, he's not going to be the one who's driving uh, all, all of the offense. Yeah, your, so, your third line left winger slash occasional spot center doesn't <laughs> Doesn't right, leave right. The team meeting exactly. necessarily. Yeah, you know, but, but a good a good Brendan Morrow, if you will. Mm-hmm. But uh, but that's my view of the you know that's my rosy colored glasses uh, for the season is that this is going to be a big push. Um, we're going to throw as much as we can at it. Uh, hopefully, it works. Um, if it doesn't work, things may get torn up. If uh, if it works but doesn't quite get all the way to where it needs to be. Um, They'll, they'll keep pieces around, and, and I guess I'm more positive than David is in that I, I don't see this as as a window, not window view. Maybe it's uh, you, you have you're moving from one window to another window. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it, and that's where I'll put my um, my final flag in the ground as well. I think that this team is simultaneously going. To, I think this team is going to surprise people next season. I think that when you look at a lot of the circumstances around this past year and everything that went wrong, I think it masks what is actually a much improved uh, a much improved squad. I think you're simultaneously going to have enough development from the youth to offset decline. You know, if you don't get the same season out of Pavelski, you'll get more out of Gurionov, you'll get more out of Hens, you'll get more out of, of of Robertson. So I think this team is going to be a lot better than a a non-playoff participant and i think they're they're much closer to they're much closer to the talent level at the top than they are the talent level at the bottom as strange as that is from a team that didn't make the dance um the one the one david-esque thought that i have sorry about that um heading into the (laughs) offseason i I, the thing that the thing that worry and then sorry to wrap up mark to your point i think where it gets really transformational again is i I think you're right we're going to have one more season that's more or less status quo and then the real crazy stuff starts and and this team is going to be very different um 
you know, season after next. And then the the crazy David thought is I do. The thing that concerns me that keeps me up as a stars fan is there is an awful lot of assumptive faith right now in two things, Ben Bishop's knee slash lower body and a, you know, a young Jake Ottinger's ability to maintain a entirely linear progression in terms of his performance. And the thing that scares me as a Dallas stars fan is we're all just sort of assuming that a Bishop Ottinger crease next season is going to be a good thing in the same way that we all assume that a, you know, Bishop Hudobin crease this season would be a good thing. And to a certain degree, Dallas dodged a bullet because Ottinger stepped up and played well. And it's very possible that he's going to do that again. And it's very possible that giving, you know, Ben Bishop an extra, what, seven months to, to rehab and recover gets him to a point where he can carry, you know, a substantial load. Like those are things that are very much on, on the table and could happen. But like, you know, at the end of the day, those hopes are riding on a kid and on a very tall goaltender that's starting to have lower body issues. And that worries me. And I think that's going to be the interesting thing, you know, for me for next season. Yes. The Alexiak, you know, situation is interesting and what they end up signing Miro for. Those are, those are probably, you know, long-term bigger and more interesting questions. But in terms of what happens on the ice next season, I, I am, fixated on the crease right now because I think that's where the make or break is going to happen. 100% agree. And that's a lot. Thank you for sticking with us, whether it was an all-in-one go or broken out into chunks. Thanks to KT, who I'm sure has fallen asleep on her keyboard, keeping this thing uh, keeping this thing on the rails. Um, gentlemen, thank you for your time. We will be back at some point to do the forwards and uh, enjoy the rest of your uh, enjoy the rest of your evenings. Gracias. Y'all have a good one. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.